Our reading this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 22, verses 6 through 11. While I was on my way and approaching Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone about me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I answered, Who are you, Lord? Then he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not hear the voice of the one who was speaking to me. I asked, What am I to do, Lord? The Lord said to me, Get up and go to Damascus. There you will be told everything that has been assigned to you to do. Since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, those who were with me took my hand and led me to Damascus. This is the word of the Lord. So if you've been keeping count, you know this is the 12th, that is 12, of the sermons that we've done in the series on theology of place, entitled, It Still Points in the Turning World, using that quote from T.S. Eliot where he refers to the power of one plot of earth, of one place where we can get our bearings. And by this point, you might be asking or thinking to yourself, Pastor Matt, what now is the point of this series? What is the takeaway? What do you hope that we are able to hear and incorporate into our lives now, having had a dozen sermons, including this one today? And I'm glad you asked. (laughs) I hope from these sermons you will have picked up this piece of good news, that God is at work in place. God speaks to people in place. God is known to us in place, and the landscape where we live out our faith, the arena of discipleship is place. God calls and we answer in place. And the reason I feel compelled to make the case that God calls and we answer in place is it seems today to me that we can lose, that there is a loss of a sense of place that many feel. It occurs economically, as Tommy reminded us in a sermon some time back, as we purchase goods from places all over the world but have no idea what's going on in those places. That's a problem. If we don't know how our neighbors are living in those places from which we get our goods, that's a problem. In terms of technology, we can find ourselves staring at screens more and more frequently and lose attentiveness to the ground underneath our feet, to the world around us, the trees, our neighbors, to what's going on right now. And in terms of faith, there's a tendency, I believe, to think of our relationship with Jesus Christ as inhabiting some unseen arena of heaven or the heart as opposed to the actual plot of earth on which we stand and the bodies we inhabit. If I'm correct and attention to place can get lost today, then I think it's worth fighting, it's worth preaching to try to reclaim it. I remember being struck with the placelessness our faith can sometimes assume when I was introduced to Robert Boyd Munger's famous story, My Heart, Christ's Home. Are you familiar with it? I first heard it read. It's by a Presbyterian pastor, and the the book claims a readership of more than 10 million, and I love the topic that Munger addresses, Christian transformation, conversion, inviting Christ to take over a person's life and direct them. Great, 
topic, but I must confess Munger's story ultimately left me cold because of its placelessness. I first heard the book read back when one of the youth advisors I worked with when I was a youth minister at Claremont Presbyterian Church asked if she could read this story for one of our youth group meetings. I'd heard good things about it, so I said sure, and we made plans to do that. She had us at the, near the end of one of our Sunday night meetings all lie down on the floor and close our eyes, and so we did there in the youth room on 1111 Mountain Avenue in Claremont. And with our eyes closed, she began to read this story. She began, one evening, I invited Jesus Christ into my heart. What an entrance he made. He came into the darkness of my heart and turned on the light. He built a fire on the hearth and banished the chill. He filled the emptiness with his own loving, wonderful friendship. Now, don't get me wrong. There's wonderful things to celebrate in those words and the ideas, but I was losing my bearing, lying there with my eyes closed, wondering where is this happening? Who is this happening to? What's the context here? And then the author goes on to tell of inviting Christ into different rooms, the study first or the room of the mind, then the dining room or the area of appetites and desires. And in those two rooms, Munger notes how once Christ enters, he realizes changes need to be made in those rooms as he gives over more and more control to Jesus, whom he has welcomed in. Then the author invites Christ into the living room or the space of daily practices, and then he leads Christ into yet other rooms, but I can't tell you what those rooms were because by this point in the story, I had fallen fast asleep. And you know why? My wife would say it's because I fall asleep easily, and maybe that's the reason. But I think there is another reason. The story, for me at least, it lacked drama and a sense of gripping reality. It was without place, no geography or location or names or setting or any specific context or community of people ever enter the picture. And so I fell asleep hearing about something as earth-shaking as Christian transformation because the story lacked place. Look at the stories of Christian transformation in the Bible, and they're full of place and the drama that place and the specifics of place can evoke. Take the story Linda Pecor preached about last week, the first story of Christian conversion according to Mark's gospel. It tells of Jesus meeting two fishermen, Simon and Andrew, and radically changing their lives. But Christ doesn't accomplish this merely by entering some ethereal space like their hearts. Nor does this transformation occur in some far-off heavenly sphere. It happens right on one plot of earth, one still point in the turning world, the shore by the Sea of Galilee. Jesus of Nazareth walks right up to these fishermen at one still point in the turning world, and there these fishermen hear the voice of Jesus calling them to leave their nets and families and take on a radical new vocation to become fishers of people. Radical change, high drama in just a few words, and it's all about place. Or take the mother of all conversion stories, the story of Saul, the Christian, the persecutor of Christians, being transformed into Paul, the proclaimer of the Christian faith. This transformation story we read Today, from the book of Acts, it's so important that it's actually told three separate times in Acts. 
we read it as the events unfold in chapter 9, and then in chapter 22, which Aaron read today, Paul retells the story. Then in chapter 26, Paul retells the story again as he defends himself before the Jewish king Agrippa. And we find the story told yet again in the New Testament in the first chapter of Paul's letter to the Galatians. We have four accounts of the conversion in our New Testament as if our scriptures are saying, whatever you do, don't miss this story. Nearly half of the 27 books in our New Testament are attributed to the Apostle Paul, and he would not be the Apostle Paul were it not for that transformation we read about four times in the New Testament. And you notice that in today's passage, in every time the story is told, it is connected with place, Damascus. Damascus. It was on the road to that city, Paul notes, that he saw light from heaven shining around him, and this light didn't merely enter the inner ethereal space of his heart, nor did it lift him up into space where in the heavens he might meet the risen Christ. No, it knocked him to the ground. He fell to the ground, and there splayed out on the earth like Jacob lay when he had that dream of a ladder connecting earth and heaven and heard God's voice speaking right next to him, just like Jacob, Saul hears Christ speaking to him. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus of Nazareth who you are persecuting. And that reference to Nazareth reminds us yet again of the grounding of the story. Jesus didn't emerge from nowhere and no place. He was raised in place, Nazareth, and so can speak powerfully to people of place like you and me. What should I do, Lord? Saul asks, and Jesus sends him to a place. He says, get up and go to Damascus. There you'll be told everything that you need to do. And as we read on, we find it's there in Damascus that he receives his sight. There he receives his commission. There he's baptized and has his sins washed away. And to this day, Damascus is associated with that powerful conversion that changed the course of Christian history. Here's a statue you'll find in Damascus at the chapel of St. Paul, and it depicts that amazing turn that happened in his life. Now, a number of you are Bible scholars, and so you know there's never a reference to a horse in any of the accounts of Paul's conversion, but it lends some nice drama, doesn't it? He's, he's higher off the ground that way, so there's further to fall, and maybe he had a horse, you know? But I love the depiction of that turn as a kind of circle, a shift that's taking place for Saul there as he approached Damascus. And I also love that this testament to that conversion is in Damascus. It marks that city as a place where this happened. It has location. It has groundedness. It has reality. It has place. Transformation takes place. Talk to anyone about their conversion, especially someone who's had a radical shift from being not a Christian, an atheist, an agnostic, to someone deeply committed to the Christian faith. Talk to them about it, and yes, they'll mention the heart and the heavens quite likely, but what they'll definitely mention is place. 
They'll tell you where it happened, what was going on, what the circumstances were like, what the location was, transformation. It contains geography. Ask Anne Lamott about her journey of faith, and she'll tell you, as she has told the world in her writing of the time she stood on one plot of earth, one still point of the turning world, and heard God's voice speaking to her right there. It happened in Marin City in 1984, a place she describes at the time like this. Marin City is the ghetto in this luscious, affluent county built in a dusty bowl surrounded by low green hills. There are too many drugs and guns. There is a looming and crummy government housing called the Projects, and there are six churches in a town of 2,000 people who are mostly black. On the weekends, the gigantic lot where the Greyhound bus depot used to be was transformed into one of the country's biggest flea markets. There, hundreds of sellers, thousands of buyers, children and dogs, and all of us stirring up the dust. And there, in that flea market, between the hours of 11 a.m. and 1 p.m., she heard a voice. Or rather, she heard several voices singing gospel music, and it touched her. The sound came for Anne during a period of deep brokenness in her life. It was a time she would learn she had gotten pregnant with a man who was married to somebody else. It was a most unwanted pregnancy. It was a time she was passing out, she writes, most nights from drinking too much. And it was a time she had no interest whatsoever in the Christian faith. But there, standing in that dust of a Marin City flea market, she heard a voice and it spoke to her. She looked to where this sound might be coming from and she noticed it came from across the street. There was an impoverished ramshackle building with a cross on top and a few skinny pine trees. It was St. Andrew's Presbyterian. Presbyterian Church, and she went to the doorway to listen to the songs, this gospel music she heard. She couldn't believe how run down the place looked with its ugly brown linoleum floor and plastic stained glass windows. Congregation sanctuaries, they are places, aren't they, each with their eccentricities. But she noticed it had a choir of five black women and one Amish-looking white man making glorious noise, and a congregation of 30 people or so radiating kindness and warmth. Lamott started to attend services. The sermon, she said, never did much for her. It's hard to hear from a preacher, but sometimes that's the case. But the music, she writes, all the music, it split me wide open. Something inside me that was stiff and rotting would feel soft and tender. Standing with them to sing, sometimes so shaky and sick that I felt like I might tip over, I felt bigger than myself, tricked into coming back to life. She resisted the invitation she was hearing in that music for days and days, but then one Sunday after a song so deep and raw and pure, it brought her to tears. She said to the Savior that had been chasing her down, okay, I quit. I've had enough. You can come in. That change for her happened. It was wrought right in place in St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church in Marin City transformation, true Christian change takes place. 
And I love how God will even use the particulars of a place to bring about the change God desires. God used that broken, vulnerable place called St. Andrew's Church in Marin City to speak to a broken and vulnerable time in Anne's life and a broken and vulnerable soul as she was at that time. I love that God used the great crossroads city of Damascus in Paul's time to mark a crossroads in his life, a crossroads where he would turn from being Saul of Tarsus to Paul the apostle. Damascus, it was a famous crossroads, a major hub back in Paul's day. It was one of the principal cities in the ancient Roman province of Syria. And if you wanted to travel from the region of Babylon and the Euphrates River to ancient Palestine, you went through Damascus. That is, if you wanted to go all the way from here over by the Euphrates River and Babylon over to the region of Jerusalem and ancient Israel, you went through Damascus. And then there was a major road called the King's Highway that went all the way from the Gulf of Akaba all the way up further north, and that also went through Damascus. And then there was this famous Roman road called the Via Maris, or as people will call it today, the Great Trunk Road, and it connected Egypt, not only with the Mediterranean coast, but with other areas. That, too, went through Damascus. And we imagine it was the final leg of the journey from Caesarea Philippi to Damascus along the Great Trunk Road that Saul saw the light. That would be this road right here and this area you can see of Damascus where these major Roman roads all met. Here's an image of one of the ancient roads Saul may have been on as he traveled. And then this map imagines the ancient Roman road system like a modern subway. (laughs) And it notes, lo and behold, Damascus was a major hub. All roads seem to go through it. Crossroads, cities, or hubs, they can be places where the exchange of goods and ideas, the meetings of peoples from different places, people turning to new paths, it can all happen at these crossroads cities. People can find and discover and take a brand new path, and so they can be powerful places for transformation. Damascus, a crossroads city, was precisely such a place for Saul. And Crossroad City can still be places of transformation for us today, for God is still bringing about transformation in place. It was in New York City, a central hub and Crossroad City in our day that Don Williams tells about hearing Christ's call and taking a brand new path. Don Williams was the chairman of the Trammell Crow companies at that time, managing enormous real estate negotiations and building projects for an enormous company. He was coming back from a long and tiring business trip to the Middle East and had planned to fly straight back to Paris, changing planes in New York's JFK airport and return from there to Dallas. But thanks to all kinds of delays and problems, by the time he finally got to JFK in New York, he was exhausted and had very little time for the connection. So he went outside in the snow and sleet and waited for one of those trams that you expect to come by, and that tram never came by. So he ran to try to make it to the gate on foot, and he slipped on the ice, falling spread eagle on the pavement. He tore the knees of his suit, and his hands and knees were bleeding. And lying there, he says, face down, he had an epiphany. It was like 
a light suddenly shone on him through the sleet and snow. He said, God, what am I doing with my life? What's happening to me? He saw all his striving and workaholism and racing around, leaving him depleted and without a center. He realized he wasn't relying on God or anyone else and that this was no way to live. So he stopped running. He didn't even try to get his flight that day. He spent the night in a New York hotel and decided it was time to change his thinking and behavior. He got back in touch with his wife and boys. He started coaching the boys' teams. They started taking family trips together that they hadn't done before. He began teaching Sunday school at his church, he writes. He rediscovered his center in Jesus Christ. He got engaged in the community, the Dallas city where he lived and became an advocate for public education and for public housing and tackling problems like systemic racism he saw in Dallas. And the shift all happened, Don says, in that crossroads city of New York where he fell flat on his face. Sometimes we have to fall on the ground before God gets our attention. And then right there in that place, sprawled out on the earth, on one plot of earth, God brings about change. Crossroads cities, hubs, they can be great places for change. I remember a time in New York City's LaGuardia Airport where I was waiting for an international flight, or had come back, rather, from an international flight in Germany. I'd spent a summer there and recalled how a summer earlier I had spent in Mexico City as an exchange student and there in a New York City airport waiting for a flight back to the San Diego area, how I felt a sense of God's call with all these international experiences to devote one to Christian service. It was like Christ was calling me in a new way to make one of these ventures and use it for God's kingdom. And that led to a summer I spent with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, their program called an overseas training camp in Guatemala, and that led to a host of other international ventures and to advocacy so many of you are engaged in as well with regard to immigrant sisters and brothers coming to this country. Christ can make a change in our life, a radical shift, or open our eyes to His call in a new way in place, and especially in these crossroads areas like Damascus. Maybe you're at a crossroads time in your life in this crossroads county of Los Angeles, in this crossroads city of Pasadena. I'm often struck how many people come from other areas, other countries to come here for Fuller or to study at PCC or at Caltech or to work at JPL or Disney or in entertainment. And sometimes they stay a long time, but Often they will spend a time here and then heed some new call that sends them somewhere else. And here is some good news for us in this crossroads city. Transformation takes place and God's bringing it about in us and in this place. Maybe God is challenging you in this place to open your life to Christ in a way you haven't before. Maybe you were drawn here not by the sermon but by the music and something in it spoke to you, pulled you in, and split you wide open. If so, maybe Christ's call on you today is to open that door, to say, I quit, and to let Christ in 
in this place. Receive Him here. Maybe you've been on the road of faith for some time, and yet you're at some crossroads in your life. Maybe you have just descended from one mountain in your work or personal life and are wondering what the next mountain will be. Maybe you're considering which of several roads ahead to take in terms of where you'll live or where you'll focus your energy or which relationships to devote time and attention to or what wrong in the world you are called to make right Or maybe you're running this way and that in a job, a role that's making you crazy and leaving you just about lying flat on your face on the ground. If so, remember the call of Christ is not waiting for you somewhere else, someplace off in heaven or just in the interior of your heart. It can hit you right now in this place, and it can pick you up again and send you on a brand new path here in this place in Pasadena and the places that God sends you to next right there. You can hear that call of the one who said, behold, behold, I am making all things new, even you, even us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, amen.